Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. We actually, a lot of the times people think confidence is like a personality trait, but it's actually the act of doing. And so when we do, even if we so-called fail, or it doesn't go as we hoped it would go, that's how we build confidence by doing. And that's why it's so important to do and to do it even more so the way it feels right for us because that's how it will attach. That's how we'll, we'll understand the information that makes sense and the information that we can just, you know, let slip away because it doesn't resonate with us. Maybe our value system or our belief system or our core you know, the essence of who we want to be and and the direction we want to move toward. And so that's how you build confidence. And and the other beautiful thing about confidence or interesting thing about confidence, which again, I learned very late in life, but confidence is not, uh, it's not linear. I mean, we have to continue to um, develop our confidence. And that's how we do it is through learning and continuing to embrace new things, continuing to try new things, continuing to move out of our comfort zone, continuing to uh, be uncomfortable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Doozy Days podcast. Today, I have a very special guest here. Um, Sophie Lazarou is here to speak some brilliant words to you. Uh, she's a magnificent woman and I know this because I know her personally. Um, and I have been blessed by her presence a couple times. She's a good friend of my mom's and she has some amazing value to bring to you guys. So she is a life coach and she's the author of this book. Um, beautiful, brilliant, and brave. She's a motivational speaker and she is here to blow your minds. So Sophie, (laughs) I will hand you the stage. So if you have anything that you want to quickly say, introduce yourself to Doozy Days, and then we'll get this ball rolling. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be a part of this. Um, I was, I've been listening to your podcast and I have just been blown away. I mean, such brilliance and really uh, a change maker. I mean, it, it will be people like you that um, make movement and so provocative, so insightful. And your podcast so far has been so great. And I'm so excited for you. So well done. And uh, so I'm super excited to be here and uh, offer any sort of wisdom that I can share or insights. Um, but yeah, it's really exciting and I'm happy to be here. So thank you for the invitation. Awesome. So glad that you're here and thank you for, for all your kind words for me. <laughs> you're welcome. So Sophie, what is something in your life that really fills you up and makes you feel the most alive? I love learning and I consider myself a lifelong learner and it's really interesting because I um, failed grade three and for a long time I held on those with the belief that I wasn't smart enough or what I had to say wasn't good enough or I didn't offer enough value so the fact that now I love learning and I tend to love learning in um, 
in a formal setting, like through institutions, even though there's lots of ways we can learn through self-discovery, through self-awareness, through travel. I think travel is an amazing way to learn. And then through formal ways, college, university, professional development. But I tend to feel my best when I'm learning in a formal way. Um, and it's really interesting because I seem to have, and I don't know if it's this Gemini in me, but I seem to have this dichotomy of push and pull, things that I love about formal institutions of learning and then things that drive me crazy and I just want to fix and I just want to challenge and I just want to change. And so it's really interesting because I have all these dichotomies with these relationships, but um, it really fills me up. And I do feel at my best when I'm learning and I'm constantly learning and I feel like I, I yearn for knowledge. And so while I never thought of myself as someone who was smart or someone who was even very capable academically, as an adult, I've learned that I love it. And I just want more and more and more of it. And it's really interesting because I took 18 years to complete my undergraduate degree. And so it's interesting when I hear, you know, young people talk about, you know, taking five or six years to complete their degrees because really there's no time limit. And, and that's what I want people to know. You know, everybody's journey is their own. And however it works for you is the right path for you because we know life is messy and uh, we can't really, we can't really follow these kind of social constricted timelines. We have to do it with what feels right for us. Sometimes there's financial burdens, sometimes there's uh, familiar responsibilities, some, sometimes um, you just have you, the type of learner you are, you are. Like I couldn't imagine doing six full courses. That's not the type of learner I was or even am today. And so you have to do it uh, based on what's right for you. And, and so it took me 18 years, but I loved it. I loved the journey. I loved the learning and I continue to want to do it more and more. So those are the things that kind of fill me up. But like I said, I love I love learning in lots of ways, whether that's traveling or whether that's um, self-help books. You know, when I first started the whole self-help journey about 25, 30 years ago, I remember going to like a local bookstore and I just bought every self-help book that resonated with me. Every book on the shelf that I thought, okay, that will work for me or that's something that I can learn by, or that author seems to resonate with some of the values that I hold. And so I, I just bought up every single book and over the years, again, I didn't read it like in a week, but over the years, I just, I just make these, all these notes all the time, like all these notes. And like you, I noticed that you kind of collect quotes. I collect quotes too. And I love them because they're like snippets of wisdom. And yes. they're, yeah. And easy things for us to kind of um, hold on to because sometimes it's hard to remember all that stuff. And so they're like, they're, they're little kind of touch points to remind us. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Totally. I love, I love quotes. They're my, every, I have them everywhere and I just spit them at people all the time. Um, but I love all of what you just said, learning, lifelong learner, student of life itself. <laughs> Exactly. That is really awesome. And um, what's your favorite thing that you've accomplished so far? Like, what are you the most proud of? So I'm most excited about um, the fact that I'm right where I am right now, because it took me 
a long time to get to this point. And you know, when I see people like you, so young and so dynamic doing this kind of work, I think it's super exciting for the future generation because this, uh, it took me about 30 years. Like I finally feel my authentic self now. And that's why I became a life coach because when you get to the point where you fully understand and embrace your authentic self, then you want to service other people. You want to help other people. You want to help other people get unstuck or help them achieve their goals or help, help them figure out kind of their limiting beliefs. And so, um, this kind of is the time for me. And it took me a long time. It took me, I've been in, um, you know, the professional world with lots of, in lots of different business work uh, sectors, doing lots of, you know, some higher management and some entry level jobs. But none of those filled me up. None of those were the things that I thought, you know, I want to be doing this for the rest of my life. Like this is work that matters. And what I did well in those jobs I, I didn't want to stay there because it, it, I, didn't, I didn't think, like, how does this make a difference? Like, how, on a global scale, how does this move people? You know, how does this even matter? And so that really bothered me in a lot of the jobs that I worked. Um, and so now, as a life coach, I feel like because I'm at a place where I understand, you know, how, you know, our thought patterns, our learned thought patterns our limiting beliefs, things that we carry that we inherited before we even knew what they were. And so now I feel like as a life coach, I can help people. And, and I think that's what happens when you get to a point where you feel like, you know, you feel whole or you feel balanced or you feel calm or you feel like there's, there's value in supporting other people. And so this is really, um, the most pivotal time of my life and the time where I've actually felt the safest, the safest. And it's all the people that you surround yourself with and noticing those things and paying attention to those things and making those choices that are sometimes really hard because we, again, we have these learned beliefs that certain people in your life are people that will elevate you are the people who love you or the people who encourage you. Um, and so we own that as our own, but if you're not feeling, like if you kind of get into this continual place of not feeling um, good around them or not feeling empowered around them or not feeling safe around them, um, those can be sometimes really hard um, choices that you have to make um, because these are people that you've been told, these people love you and these people are your people and these people are the people that you have to be with. Well, no, that's just not true. I don't have to be with anybody. And that's, that's the brilliancy of your life is you have agency and it's finding ways to cultivate that agency, finding ways to cultivate that inner power and to cultivate um, what you already know. You just have to find that space and hold that space for yourself to know that this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel good to me. And sometimes I don't know why, I just know that it doesn't feel good. And so paying attention to that, how do we come to a place where we pay attention to those things? Because those things matter. Our feelings don't lie. Our feelings are there to tell us things, to give us messages. And so um, that's super powerful. And uh, really it's just within the last few years that I've fully embraced all of who I am. 
And so I think that's super exciting because when I was younger, I thought I, I tend to be, when I get passionate, I tend to be really intense. And I've been told that I can be really scary or be like a bully. But it's just because I get super excited about this information because it's super powerful and it can change people's lives, like literally change people's lives. And so I get really, you know, sometimes worked up about it. And so when I was younger, I used to think, you know, I can, I can easily be aggressive and I can easily be angry, um, but I didn't know what they meant. I just knew that I had these feelings, but I used to think, you know, I'm not an angry person. I, have, I actually feel very calm, but I have this emotion that has been labeled as a really bad thing. But then with age and with the self-awareness and with the work, I've discovered that it's actually one of my superpowers. It's, it's really helped protect me in a lot of ways. And so it's not a bad thing. It's just how do I channel it and how do I regulate it and how do I steer it to more productive and positive outcomes? But it's not a bad thing. It's an emotion. And it's, it's, it's the way my body is telling me something about the situation is not right. And so that took me a long time to realize. And that's why I want people to know your emotions are not a bad thing. Your feelings are not a bad thing. They're there to teach you. They're there to give you information. And you talk about, you know, the experiences that you have, whether good or bad. They're not bad. They're not bad. They're just how, how what do we learn from them? What do we pull from them? Okay, that was awesome. Um, just taking, you know, that your emotions are valid and important no matter what they are and they're telling you something though you may like other people might respond to you and say something about the way that you are is they may label it as good or bad but it's part of who you are and it's telling you something and the more tuned in and self-aware you are the more you can learn to like you said respond with it and like utilize it um, and kind of have more control over it and a lot of the times those things that other people see as maybe a downfall, like somebody having ADHD or somebody being extremely passionate and bold, um, they may see that as a bad thing, but it's generally the opposite. It's more actually like your superpower once you learn to harness it and understand it. So I think that that's really awesome. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I mean, these labels, I mean, how damaging can these labels be? Very, very right. damaging. Yeah. Yes. I also was, I labeled myself as somebody who was stupid and slow when I was younger. And I identified with that for a long time. And I didn't, because I labeled myself as that, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy that I chose to follow for a long time. And I didn't, I wouldn't pick up a book because I didn't consider myself somebody who would read because people who read are smart and I'm not smart. So I didn't even allow myself the opportunities to develop into the person I could become because of, of my limiting belief that I was stupid. But then I changed it to, I am learning. And not I am dumb, but I am learning. And then once I opened up that door, my brain's like, okay, we're learning. And so then I started looking for the opportunities to learn and grow. And so it's really shifting the narrative, the story you tell yourself. So um, I, love that you tie that into emotion because it's such a pivotal role that it plays in the way that we see ourselves and others see us well and that's how we build confidence we actually a lot of times people think confidence is like a personality trait but it's actually the act of doing and so when we do even if we so-called fail or it doesn't go as we hoped it would go 
That's how we build confidence by doing. And that's why it's so important to do and to do it even more so the way it feels right for us, because that's how it will attach. That's how we'll, we'll understand the information that makes sense and the information that we can just, you know, let slip away because it doesn't resonate with us. Maybe our value system or our belief system or our core, you know, the essence of who we want to be and, and the direction we want to move toward. And so that's how you build confidence. And, and the other beautiful thing about confidence or interesting thing about confidence, which again, I learned very late in life, but confidence is not, um, it's not linear. I mean, we have to continue to, um, develop our confidence and that's how we do it is through learning and continuing to embrace new things continuing to try new things continuing to move out of our comfort zone continuing to uh, be uncomfortable like your mantra I love the mantra that says don't get too comfortable yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes I mean I love a lot of them but that one's my favorite yes I have that one actually tattooed on my arm don't get too comfortable exactly yeah yes so good. and like you said like the confidence um I learned this one quote that sticks with me is the confidence competence loop so the more competent you are at whatever it is the more confident you are it's like when you start something new and you're next to a professional you may feel lesser because they're really good and you're not but what do they have they have um confidence they're competent in the role they've been doing for years and you're brand new so you lack the confidence that they have um but through repetition through doing you gain the competence now you can do it and the better you get the more confidence you have and it builds and it's ongoing and you can have setbacks and you will have setbacks but that doesn't change that you, nobody can take away your knowledge and your, and your skills that you gain. Right. So that confidence will just continue to, it's like the, it's like an up and down. It's, it's not fluid. Mm -hmm. or it is fluid. It's not linear. Like you said. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. And so Sophie, a lot of people lack the feeling of fulfillment and thus happiness, which so many people seek happiness. Um, do you have a passion project or goal that you constantly work towards? And what do you think would help other people find something of their own? Well, we know that uh, so many of us, um, I mean, I think research tells us that 95% of us live on autopilot. So we've forgotten to um, remember those things that energize us or bring us joy or, um, or uh, expand us. Um, and so we, um, because we're on this constant, you know, um, autopilot cycle. And so we're not really, we've forgotten, like almost forgotten how to think for ourselves, you know, because our friends are doing it or because, uh, you know, neighbors are doing it or your family is doing it. So therefore that's what I should be doing. And so I really think it, it comes back to your awareness. It comes back to living consciously, comes back to living um, mindfully, um, presently. Um, and those are, can be something sometimes really hard. And some people don't want to live mindfully because sometimes it hurts. I mean, gaining that information is not always easy. Making hard choices um, 
can feel uncomfortable and we don't and we've learned with the pandemic many of us don't necessarily do well with uncertainty or feeling uncomfortable or just not feeling right having forced to uh, shuffle or forced to behave in ways that perhaps we didn't we didn't do before or uh, having to pivot and do things differently um, and so I would say um, is really getting quiet with yourself. Uh, the art, there's a book that I read years ago. Uh, I think the title was The Art of Doing Nothing. And the fact that so many of us are so driven by doing, and even though like one of the things that fills me up is, uh, I mean, I do love doing, but I've, I've realized that my best, most creative ideas come from like daydreaming and come from, from creating space to just be, you know, and just listen and just kind of get connected with my body. And I started about 20 years ago meditating. And I remember this a uh, few times when I would meditate, I would just have, and I write about this in my book, I would just have, I would be meditating and I would have tears just streaming down my face. And I, and I remember thinking, why do I have these tears? I don't feel sad. I don't feel melancholy. But my body, there was trauma in my body. And I think that was a way that my body was releasing it. And so finding that quiet place, finding that self-awareness, finding that presence um, and, and, and those tools that allow you, um, you know, to really be conscious about, you know, what's your body telling you? You know, there are physical signs that our body tells us, like our mind, our brain might forget certain things, but our body never does. And so what is our body telling us and really creating that space for yourself to um to daydream you know to um get quiet so that you can um listen for the signs that you know your body is telling you or or your feelings are telling you and so i really think that's where people should start is the self-awareness piece about you know why don't I feel right? Or what, what is causing me to be stuck? Or um, whenever I spend time with this one person, there's a reoccurring pattern of me leaving, not feeling good. I used to say to my girls all the time, because they were young and sometimes couldn't understand, you know, like behavior, like passive aggressive people, or, you know, behaviors that aren't really overt behaviors that aren't really in front of you. And so I used to say to them, okay, so every time you go for coffee with this person or every time you go out with this person, pay attention to how you feel after. Are you feeling the same or better? Or do you constantly come away feeling unstable or insecure or just not right? Sometimes you can't even identify it. You just know that you don't feel great and you don't know why you don't feel great. And start paying attention to those things. And when it becomes a reoccurring pattern, that's something for you to notice and to start, you know, maybe you have to document it or just start becoming aware that these things are happening and it's a consistent pattern. So what about that can you do and, and, and start there? And that's, uh, you know, really kind of getting comfortable with yourself, I think is a good way to find out what your purpose is, like what energizes you what fills you up, what makes you feel good. You know, in kindergarten right away, we're asking kids, what do they want to be when, they're, when they grow up? They're four or five years old. How can we possibly be asking them, what do they want to be when they grow up? Maybe the question is, 
what makes you feel joyful? What makes you feel energized? What makes you feel excited? You know, really these tangible feelings that are associated to things, you know, uh, really kind of cultivating creativity in people. And so starting um, by really getting comfortable with yourself and giving yourself that space to really pay attention to the things that energize you. Because again, so many people, you know, are on autopilot. Let's get out of autopilot and get really comfortable with being with ourselves. That was amazing. I loved every word of it and I have nothing more to say. (laughs) You hit the nail on the head with that one, Sophie. Thank you. (laughs) That was really great. Thank you. So how do you suggest somebody finds the right thing for them? Is it just starting with their passion and going from there? Or would you direct them to like try something like would you say meditation is the key or would would it be journaling is the key or or like what would you suggest somebody do to find the right thing so by right thing are we talking about relationships are we talking about work we can be talking about their um the like their future like their 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 passion their their job yeah like their work okay so start by, and this is what we do in life coaching. We know that, you know, and in, in early on in research, we thought that by the time you were 25, most of your brain was formed. And we now know that the brain is very plastic. So we have the ability to change and to create new patterns and to create new um, grooves in the brain. And so as, as a life coach, that we're kind of one of those uh, tools or vessels that we help um, like I help clients actually move toward their future best self and and owning that power and we start by what I like about the work that I do is we don't get too much into your past because your past is past it's gone it's there I mean it has effects on where you are today but we start right here so we start with the what where why how when so we start with all those questions so what are you feeling why do you think you're feeling this way? How did this start? You know, how do we move forward from this place? You know, why do you think these things are happening? And start to uncover and excavate everything that's there. And then how do we move forward? How do we get to a place that starts you in the direction of moving to those passions or moving to the right thing? Because it's, we want this miracle roadmap, but the thing is, we just need to start. You need to start with one thing. So whether that's relationships, whether that's your fitness goals, whether that's work, start with one thing. What promise, what one thing are you going to promise yourself today? You know, maybe for me, I want to spend the whole day mindfully being aware of my self-dialogue and stop myself. Every time I say something that like I tend for myself, I tend to be highly critical. And so every time if I say, oh, Miranda, I had that podcast with Miranda and I forgot to talk about this, this and this and this, I want to stop myself and say, you know what? That that was a great experience. It was a wonderful dialogue. And so I'm really excited to be able to do that again. And so every time I stop myself when I'm saying something to myself that isn't going to, you know, add 
you know, positive kind of affirmations or positive intentions or positive belief systems in my own brain, I'm going to stop myself. So that might be one promise that I make myself today. And so start with that, you know, or if you have a fitness goal, you want to get on the right track with your fitness goal, start by saying, today I'm going to get out for a walk. Don't give yourself a timeline because that's an added expectation. Don't give yourself. So you don't want to say, um, I have to walk for an hour today. Otherwise, it's completely useless, thrown out of the window. It's no good. Or I have to walk in the morning because that's the best time. All the fitness gurus tell me that that's the best time to do my exercise. And I always say the best time is whatever time works for you, whatever time you can make that commitment to yourself. Sometimes it's after dinner if that's the best time for you. Sometimes you have a break at lunchtime and that's the best time for you. Sometimes you can only get out for 10 minutes and that's, that's going to work because that's the promise you kept to yourself. The promise that you made for yourself today was, I'm going to get out for a walk today. That's it. You didn't tell yourself that you had to go for 45 minutes. You didn't tell yourself that you had to come back sweaty. You didn't tell yourself that you had to uh, do it in the morning. Otherwise, it was no good. You just made one promise to yourself and you said, today, I'm going to make sure that I get out for a walk. And you keep that promise. No matter what, you keep that promise, even if it's you, even if it's five minutes. Sometimes when I work out, so one of my promises is to work out five times a week. And one of, sometimes when I really don't feel like working out, I start and I say to myself, okay, Sophie, just give yourself five minutes. Just go down there and work out for five minutes. And inevitably I end up working out longer than five minutes, but I just give myself five minutes. And I think, how bad is five minutes? You know, I just go down there, do a little stretch, just bounce a little bit on the exercise ball. Five minutes before you know it, it's over. And inevitably, once I get there, once I start, inevitably it's longer than five minutes. And then I get my promise to myself. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, I like that. One one commitment to yourself. You make one promise. That's something that I um, should work on because I, I would constantly set high, unrealistic expectations for myself they were so all encompassed that I wouldn't give myself credit for the, what work I actually did do. Uh, and then I would look back, you know, at the end and be like, well, I, you know, I have to dig for that. I didn't make the initial commitment or promise to do one thing. I promised to do 10 things, but then when I reflect and look back, I'm like, okay, well I did half of it. And so had I gone into that with the intention to just do one of 10 things um, and I only did five, you know, I'd probably feel better rather than looking back and being like, well, I didn't finish. That was a fail, you know, and then let the negative self dialogue run. Um, I could prevent that if I just started small with one step. Well, and I love what I love about that though, is because um, the other part to that is celebrating the wins. So celebrating when you do make those achievements, because that creates more momentum for more of those desired outcomes. So every time you, you fulfill that commitment, you're then celebrating it. So you're mindfully acknowledging that, that you did it. You made that commitment to yourself and you completed that commitment. And that creates more flow and more of those successful outcomes and more of that, you know, maybe you can add two down the road, but start with one and don't even think about two, but I'm just saying that that key point to what you said, and I love that, was celebrating them. You know, when you do make those commitments, 
is celebrating them. And that's part of, you know, creating that momentum so that you can get to, you know, that right place. But don't feel that. I think sometimes we think like we have to have a whole map. Like when I wrote my book, I mean, I'm not an author. I mean, I could barely pass English class in grade school. And so I thought, okay, how am I going to write a book? I, I knew no one who had written a book. I had no idea where to start. But I just thought, I'm just going to start. I'm going to start at my computer and just start typing and, and just freely type whatever comes up. And then I'll figure it out. And, and when you keep yourself kind of open to meeting new people and to realizing that you'll find a way. I mean, if you're really determined, if you really think what you're doing matters, you'll find a way. You might not know all the steps along the way, but you'll find a way. And so that's the beauty about finding the right thing. You don't have to know all the steps along the way. You just have to start. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. And one of my favorite podcasters, he says, um, um, he says, follow one course until success. Mm. Focus. Follow one course until success and just give yourself, get the ball rolling. And then little by little, a little becomes a lot. And yeah. then, and then you've done the book. exactly and you're like and at the same time you're still like okay it's not perfect but it's okay it's good enough you know I've started to take that ideal of perfect um, because again when you grow up feeling like you're unworthy or not smart enough or not good enough you you cultivate this belief that it has to be perfect in order for you to do anything and so I thought I'm going to take that out of my vernacular I'm going to take that totally out of what I do because good enough is good enough. And I do find this tends to be a reoccurring thing with women and girls, whereas, you know, most of the time, I'm a little, I'm generalizing a little bit here, but most of the guys, time, guys do something and they're like, that's fine, that's gonna work, that's good enough. Whereas women, it has to be perfect, it has to be just right, we have to do 50 things rather than one thing. You know, good enough is good enough. And then you'll figure out, like, along the way, what else could you could you add to it? How else could you maybe make it more engaging? How could it be more inclusive? But good enough is good enough. Yes. I feel like a lot of people need to hear that because perfection, it's something that you will strive for for the rest of your life because it doesn't exist. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's it awesome. Doesn't exist. It doesn't that's exist. That's just That's just it. <laughs> That's it. And so, yeah. yes, just accept how far you've come and just keep going. Celebrate it. Celebrate, Celebrate it. it. Give yourself credit for what you have done. And Absolutely. Yes. And a lot. Create more, more of those momentum shifts. More. And sometimes we have to pivot and sometimes we have to say, okay, well, that didn't work. But we don't know what we don't know either. So yeah. that's why we have to be doing. We have to try it. We have to move out of our comfort zone. We have to do those things in order to know that, okay, that didn't work, but that's okay because I didn't know that I didn't know that or I didn't know that that, that wasn't going to fill my cup or I didn't know that like cooking, I thought for a long time because I'm a woman that I should cook. I should be a good cook. I hate cooking, like hate cooking. And I know hate's a strong word, but it doesn't do anything for me. Can I cook? Of course I can cook. I know how to cook. Could I survive? Yes. But I don't like cooking, so I don't cook. Why should I cook? You know, because I'm, because I identify as a woman that I should cook. I don't like 
cooking. It doesn't bring me any joy. And so I've decided I don't want to cook. I'm not cooking. Done. You said <laughs> you, you created a boundary and you set it and you said, Hey, this is not something that Sophie does. I mean, I, I will, if I have to, exactly. but I don't, but I, if I don't have to go out of my way to make myself not happy, then why would I do that? Exactly. It makes sense. It does. It makes sense when you really put it into perspective and like take away the societal expectations and even personal. Sometimes we just, we, we think that we should do certain things because that's what everyone else is doing. So maybe I should do it too. And am I a bad person for not doing it? No, you're not. But you feel that way. Those thoughts come into your head. So accepting it, owning it, being confident when you say no, um, there's a lot of power to that. Yeah. No, it's very powerful. Yes. I, I had to take a moment and say it like that because that's how serious the word is. And it's also part of our self-care. No, it's part of our self-care. It is. And it is something that I used to never say. I don't think I would ever say it. I don't think it was a word in my vocabulary for a long time. Um, I was like, I'm a yes person because you don't want to dissatisfy anyone. But living in a world where you're trying to satisfy everyone would just lead to only my downfall and only my pain, because that is also something that's not possible. Uh, you can't, can't please everyone. And if you do so, you'll just hurt yourself in the end. Um, so just be a good person, but don't expect to make everyone happy. So when you say yes to something, make sure you're not saying no to yourself first. And that's something that I learned. And you don't always even have to be a good person. Like if someone's trying to rape you, for example, you don't have yes. to be a good person and you don't no. have to be polite and you don't have to worry about offending them. So yes. you don't always have to be a good person either. No, that is a, that is a good point. <laughs> you don't always have to be a good person. If somebody is in the wrong and you know it, let it go. <laughs> do your, th no, like let, let yourself go and do the right thing. Say what yeah. you need to say, say your piece. There's also a book about it, uh, all these kind of rape stories about women who they had the feeling that something was not right and they had the feeling that someone was either following them or, you know, doing something that seemed off, but they didn't want to not be nice. They didn't want to offend them or they didn't want to turn around because in case they thought they weren't like, you know, a good person for who? This is like a complete stranger. Like, who are we being a good person for? And sometimes... You just have to kind of be whatever emotion uh, requires that, uh, you know, depending on the situation. And so, um, I mean, I, I understand what you were saying, uh, you know, because you know, we, we want to do good in the world. And, and our whole goal, I think, um, is, you know, to empower people and to elevate people and to support people with knowledge. So I get, I think that was your goal in saying to be a good person. But also, I think it's important to say that, um, depending on the situation, the environment and the person sometimes it requires you to be other and that's okay too. Yeah, I agree. I, th I think um, when, when you feel that like yourself almost shutting down in situations because you feel like uh, intimidated or fear and you start to feel yourself shutting down with, a, with that increased self-awareness, you can feel yourself doing that. And like where, you know, you should say something or do something for your own self um, to be able to acknowledge that that's happening you can learn through time to stop it and like, and gain that confidence of saying no and like standing up for yourself and, and being able to take action 
um, rather than letting yourself shut down and, you know, it, it's a scary moment when you feel like, even if you're just in an argument with somebody and you can feel yourself shutting down, being able to acknowledge it um, and just say, I need five minutes. Or, you know, if somebody's following you, being able to take action and turn around and like, you know, if you need to yell, yell, like, you know, and, and like you said, you're not trying to please anybody else. It, this is your life and you have to do what's right. So and protect yourself and conflict sometimes I mean conflict you know running away from conflict is also learned it's a learned pattern it's a learned behavior um, because we're taught that conflict is not good but again there's a lot to that we can learn from conflict in fact emotions there's a beautiful quote that I love in this book called happier by uh, Tal Ben-Shahar and he says uh, emotions are uh, move." Uh, something around something like emotions create motion so the best protests or the best revolutions or the best change came from conflict came from peaceful conflict of course but came from uh, people saying no this is not going to work and this doesn't work this infringes on my human rights and so again conflict isn't a bad thing but we've learned that you know, to run away from it. Like, how do people know uh, our boundaries if we don't tell them? How do people know what works for us and what doesn't work for us if we're not clear on our expectations and what we accept, especially when it comes to relationships? But again, we're not necessarily taught that it's okay to share the things that work for us, you know, and then, the, and then therefore share the things that don't work for us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Got to be able to set boundaries, share boundaries and um, make them known. Otherwise, it's just everyone's just interpreting things the way that they do and it could be wrong. So that's awesome. Um, what is uh, what is one of the worst relationships that you had with a person, place or thing? Uh, could be a person, could be a job, could be a substance. Um, what did you learn from it? And how did you grow from it or how did it shape you into the person you are now? Wow, that's a big one. I've had, um, I, you know, I was, I, I was born kind of um, inherently knowing right from wrong and justice was like a big issue for me. And so I learned very early on that we have these gendering patterns and these gendering roles where we have certain expectations of people who identify as girls or women and then people who identify as boys or men. And so that used to really bother me, but I didn't know what it was until I took my first women's studies course. And it was so, uh, it was like one of those aha moments because first of all, I didn't even know what gender or women's studies was. I mean, I grew up in a traditional home where we had traditional roles. My dad used to work 20 hours a week. And then my mom was largely, mostly a stay-at-home mom. And so we had five kids um, and they're just, you know, those the fundamental needs of, you know, love and understanding and support and encouragement. You know, it, it, they, were, they were rare commodities just based on circumstance. And so I had no idea what women's studies was and how that we even had this, Thing about gendering roles and so when I when I took my first women's studies course it was like this aha moment because I had the articulation I had the 
almost like the legitimacy to be able to put some sort of like formal knowledge to what I had been feeling all my life. And so it became my mission really in life to empower women and leadership. Uh, and when I think about leadership, I don't think about just the workplace because I think the workplace um, is one small component of our lives. But I think about how do women lead in relationship? You know, how do women lead in the home and allow you know, certain kind of roles to exist? How do women lead in decision-making and holding power and so it became my mission to support women in leadership. And, and it, it stemmed from that, that real uh, kind of acrimonious relationship that I had with, uh, we, there were five, five children, four girls and one brother. And so we saw these kind of gendering roles from a very young age. Um, and it, I remember it used to piss me off, but I didn't know why. I didn't know how to make sense of it. I just knew that I didn't like it. I knew that it wasn't fair. And I think that's where my advocacy for justice also plays a part. Um, why do we have kind of all these social constructions about you know, what women and girls can do and then what boys and men can do? And we seem to have this imbalance of what we accept and what we tolerate. You know, We expect women to do a million things a day really, really well almost perfect and then you know men have a day at work and they come home and they're in front of the tv the rest of the day and again i'm generalizing this is not the case for many and hopefully there'll be movement in creating these kinds of changes but and somehow that's okay because you've done a day of work well i've been on maternity leave and i've been in the workplace and i can tell you going to work is a lot easier than staying at home and ensuring that those kids that you're influencing and shaping have all that, all the, those kind of basic fundamental needs that they need in order to thrive in the world. And so going to work is the easy part. I guarantee you that. Not in all cases, of course, but let's create societies that are inclusive, that men, because men are part of this solution, that men do what they want to do. Like maybe they want to stay at home with their kids and have that, you know, really powerful, instrumental part of growing their, you know, raising their children. And, and so, you know, just kind of reconfiguring how we see those roles and, you know, and how the kind of the things that we inherently um, accept into our lives without even questioning, again, going back to that autopilot, like how do we get to that place where we just kind of assume these things happen? Like I've even met grown men who have don't even know how to use their stove like they've never turned on their own stove i mean that that's so shocking to me i mean it's so crazy to me but it still exists it's still very much real um and so um the, that was a real that was something that i had to find out like i, I sought out how can i make sense of this thing that i inherently felt was wrong and I had to make sense of it. And the only way I can legitimize it is by taking and studying it and understanding that this is a real thing. And this, this is a form of social oppression. This is a form of subjugating people based on gender. And so, you know, how do we revisit that? And how do we change that? And how do we create momentum to know that um, choice, you know, you know, developing, like I said earlier in the podcast, developing that agency 
that we have choice. We can make choices and we can decide the kinds of relationships that we accept and that we expect. And that's okay. That's awesome. Yeah. And I can totally see how like that shapes you into like, once you find like you had the emotion, you got the education and you learned, you merged the two, found your passion and started to become who you are now based off of all of those things. And like, that's what I love about starting with like understanding your passions and your feelings and then making sense of them and like putting them. And then like, once you, when you learn one thing and then you have your aha moment and you can actually start to use it. Like once you, once you've figured out like, Oh, those two random things actually connect like the, like me not feeling right at home or seeing like gender roles, not really understanding gender roles, but seeing and feeling something's wrong and then learning in women's studies that, you know, these are gender roles and, you know, understanding like that you want to change it or that you want to do something about it. Um, and then taking that and running with it and then how that just starts to become part of your life and part of who you are. And that's awesome. It's just finding those two things. And then like, sometimes it, sometimes it takes years to, to, to find that out. And sometimes it just kind of happens to people. It's different for everyone, right? There's no set deadline for that. Um, but it's just having your mind open so that you, when the opportunity arise, arises, then you can utilize it and you can jump on it and start to run with it. So, you know, and I absolutely agree with all that, but it's also like finding your best because when you're at your best, I think that's what you attract, you know? And so, you know, when it comes to relationships or it comes to friendships or it comes to jobs that are just seem like these constant, like dead end jobs, um, you know, you know, because you start by thinking, you know, how do you contribute to these outcomes? How are you responsible to these outcomes? And I do think when you start to gain that self-awareness and you start to understand the things that matter to you, the things that are important to you, the things that you value, uh, the things that you don't want to accept in a relationship or in a job or, you know, even in a family dynamic, that you have choice, you know, that you do have power to change those things or at least have uncomfortable conversations and at least choose that. This is not what I'm going to accept. This is not going to work for me. Um, and so that might work over here and that might be okay for over here, but it's not going to work for me. And that's okay. Right. Because yes. we're all different. Yes. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is one of the most uncomfortable conversations that you've ever had? Yeah, wow, that's a good one. That's a real good one. Hmm. I've probably had many, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I, I almost thrive on them, to be honest with you, <laughs> because I just think they're necessary. They and are. so I've had so many, um, and it's Probably like without outing any specific people, I won't get into too many, um, you know, specific situations, but yeah, to say that I've had many for sure, um, because I think they're necessary. I think that's how we learn. And of course they're going to feel uncomfortable because, you know, again, we've taught not to have them. We've taught to be like two of the words that are, that kind of 
uh, don't sit well with me is the word nice. I think it's the worst adjective that anyone can use to describe you. I mean, what does nice mean? What does that mean? Is that a pink yeah. color? No. Like, is that beige? <laughs> like, what does that even mean? And happiness is another abstract word. Yes. I mean, what does that mean? I thought about writing a whole book about the, the, the kind of, um, what's the word? The kind of like uh, unknown of happiness because happiness or that, elus- that elusive word is um, different for everybody. Like, is it more laughter? Is it more joy? Is it more activity? Is it more travel? Is it a career, a vibrant career? Is it more education? I mean, happiness is like this umbrella word of nothing. And so the word nice feels that way to me as well. And so, um, yeah, so those words I used to, again, I used to always say to the the girls, you know, call me provocative or funny or intelligent or mouthy even or spicy. I called my 92-year-old dad, I call him spicy because he's still so spicy. And that's (laughs) having, you know, those uncomfortable conversations, having the courage to have uncomfortable conversations because it does take courage. But that's how we create change. And the people who love you should be okay with those conversations because how do we learn? I remember, oh, I do have one I can share with you because I didn't want to like out various people. But mm-hmm. my, when we started talking about white privilege, my husband is in a role of leadership and he's a white man. And so he said to me, Sophie, am I supposed to feel bad about being a white man? And so we opened up that conversation about white privilege. And I said, well, no, it's not about being uncomfortable because you're white and you're a man and there's nothing you can do about that. It's about the awareness of what that gives you, the awareness of that privilege and power that it automatically gives you. And so how that might make other people around you feel. And so that opened up a very uncomfortable conversation because he was like, like, am I supposed to feel bad about being a white man, you know, in, in a role of leadership? And so it's like understanding that privilege and understanding, you know, how you've kind of um, been in a position to uh, that some people might not ever know. And so that was a conversation that wasn't very comfortable for him because he was like, you know, I'm a white man. Nothing's going to change about that. But there's all this, this, all this conversation going on right now about, about white privilege. And so that was an uncomfortable conversation that I could share, but it's super important to have them because that's how we change. That's how we move. That's how we open our mindset and our, the way we think and the way we connect with people. Um, We have to have them, but it does take a lot of courage and it takes a lot of understanding and the ability to actively listen because we can't learn without listening. And so even when, I was at a trade show a few years back and I, you know, I go around to all the booths and talk to people because I think it's always so interesting. And one of the women was a Trump supporter and she said, you know, the trade show was in Toronto. And she said, Oh, I know most people from Toronto, they don't like Trump. So right away she was super aggressive. I could feel her energy was like really combative, but I engaged with her because I was interested in knowing what she liked about Trump. I was interested in learning you know, what I didn't see about him. And so by the end of the trade show, we were good friends. And even though we have very different policies in politics, we can uh, learn to disagree without hating each other. And so it's really important to have 
conversations and to have. And most of them, when you don't align or when you don't agree, most of them are going to feel uncomfortable. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so true. And I think a lot of the, like we were raised, uh, a lot of people are raised to just say, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion, don't talk about all, all the things that are very necessary to talk about if we want to uh, grow and, and, and change the way that things are. Because if we all see that things are wrong, there's there are wrong things in the world that need to be changed, uh, but nobody's willing to talk about it. No one's willing to get uncomfortable and be vulnerable, um, put themselves in positions that are unideal um, for the sake of growth and development, then, you know, we'll just continue to be an ignorant species that just avoids problems that are right in front of their faces. And that doesn't solve any problems. And it's just bizarre to, to not just dive in and just get uncomfortable, get your hands messy and feel the feelings that you feel. Um, but, you know, allow yourself to open up, open your mind. Like I have another thing is uh, my t- other tattoo is shut your mouth and open your mind um, and just literally listen and learn. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Um, so I really like that. I think also that's how we develop love you know, love for people that perhaps don't look like us or we don't relate to or we don't even envision us having similar, um, you know, similar traits or characteristics to. Uh, That's how we learn to love is by um, understanding that we can be different and we can still love each other. Yes, it's very true. And um, I I love that you brought that up because it's, it's, it's a, big topic that needs to be discussed more often. So that's, that's awesome. Um, how about this question for you, Sophie? What is a trait that you would find admirable in another person that you meet? Oh, I love interesting, provocative, intelligent, grounded people who are willing to share um, yeah, I, I love those kinds of um, people and conversations. And that's why like, uh, I, I seek them out. I mean, because so many really interesting um, people out there with their own stories. And so, yeah, those are the kinds of traits that I seek. And of course, I, I, I totally admire courage. Um, and I totally admire people's strengths to do things their own way because that's hard to do. We're told to do it a certain way and we're told to be a certain way and we're told to act a certain way and we're told to dress a certain way. And so when you find your own way, that's super admirable. And I totally commend that and totally support that. Oh, that's really awesome. That that like filled me up with my passion, which is just to be yourself, be an independent, unconventional, unique and bewildering person. That's what Doozy Days is literally all about. <laughs> Yay! So that is awesome. Um, and um, are you the type of person, I know that I already know the answer to this, are you the type of person who would just sit back and admire someone or would you tell them straight up that they are awesome? Yeah, I would totally tell them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're awesome. I told your mom actually 
like <laughs> bravo, bravo to all of you because you're you're carving your own paths. And again, I think that's super awesome. And somewhere along the path, I mean, your mom and dad collectively or your group of people around you or your education or whatever it was, I don't know. But um, the fact that you all kind of have done that, I think is super great and completely awesome. So yeah, I would totally tell you. Yeah, I knew that. I, I was just like, I already knew the answer. But yeah, um, I used to be the kind of person who would just like admire people from a distance and be like, wow, that person's, you know, that has a nice bracelet on. But now I'm the person who just says it um, because I can like feel the energy and the shift in the other person and like how they feel. And, you know, it just sends out that positive ripple into the world and it makes both parties feel better. Um and it's just, a, a, there's no point in not sharing those kind things. So I, and I think I admire you for, for being that kind of person who's just like, you rock, you know, just out there in people's faces, telling them what's great about them um, and just acknowledging them. So I think that's really awesome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how about this next question? Uh, if you could create one law, what would it be and why? Well, this is probably going to be a little controversial, but I think most of the things I say have some sort of controversy associated to them. But I would probably enact a law like we have laws where you have to be a certain age to drive and like we have laws where you have to be a certain age to legally drink. I would probably enact a law where you had to there was a certain age before you could have sex because I think we're a hypersexualized society and it messes people up and it just doesn't do good things when it's not age appropriate. I'm all about hot, loving sex, but, and that could be a whole other segment, but when kids don't have the brain capacity and the understanding um, psychologically, um, to know what to do with all those emotions and feelings and they're doing things that are kind of adult things. I think it's a really bad thing and I think it can really mess up young kids. And, and so I would probably enact a law that you have to be a certain age before you even considered having sex, but a certain age before, like driving 16 where we live and, you know, in places 18 or 21 before you can legally drink alcohol. And so I would have some sort of law like that as well for having sex. Nice. That's cool. I've never heard that. And uh, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. And um, what is the biggest problem that needs solving it that you're the most passionate about? Yeah, so I think for me, it's really elevating. And my book was pretty much all about self empowering women, and to know that they can power up, and the people who love them will love them anyways when they're their true authentic self and the people who don't, it's probably good to know now so you can make those choices. Um, and that's really what that's all about. And so whether that's in your family life, you know, how you share unpaid labor, how you choose to accept and expect certain things from your partners, um, how you parent, you know, how you develop effective parenting strategies in order to build your kids up. Um, you know, how we build these kind of systems that perpetuate, you know, the oppression of some and then the elevation of others, even at the sake of really not doing much to earn that, you know, almost building a uh, mediocrity in some 
for some people and then an over expectation, almost an unattainable expectation for others. And so that really is my biggest mission. Um, even though I think we're collaboratively all responsible for the solutions. Um, but I, I think, I don't think it's as hard as we think it is. I think we really, because it's a real, it's a generational legacy of, you know, women for a long time were made to feel that their worth and their value was to serve and, you know, and to be of service to others. And so that's a general generational legacy that has, have, that has kind of stayed with us and it's really hard to shake. But it starts by knowing, you know, what fills you up, what energizes you, what makes you feel good. And what doesn't is equally important to listen to because those are markers for you to really pay attention to you and to honor and respect. I mean, it really does start with you and you're allowed to feel whatever you feel. You know, no one has to align with that. No one has to agree with that. But the people who love you will love you anyway. And so um, I, that's really, I, I just want to power up women as much as I can, even though I love men. I mean, I'm married to a man, but I have two girls. I don't think that's coincidence. I have tons of girlfriends that I love and adore and admire and get so much like motivation from. And so that's what I want to do. And that's really my mission. And that's what fills me up. That's where I feel the best. That's really awesome. Uh, if you met the version of yourself from 10 years ago, what would you tell them? I, along those lines, I would tell her, own your power, girl. I mean, this is your power and you're allowed to own it. You're allowed to own um, all those wonderful, passionate emotions that you have. You know, it might scare off certain people or it might get certain people to identify you as a bitch or a bully. But when you know who you are, I mean, I know none of those things relate to me. I know I'm not a bully and I know I'm not a bitch. And I have to say that out loud because for a long time, I thought I was because I was told that. And so I know I'm not because I know what my heart is. And I know that when I can be of service to others and to help others, um, it fills me up and it makes me feel so happy and so joyful and just so um just so full uh, and and so um, I would say to my 10 year old self you know you're allowed to have this power you're allowed to have these emotions you know you're allowed uh, to embrace your superpowers and to know what they are and so I would just give her permission to say you know this is who you are you were born this way I know I was born this way but it took me a long time to come back to it because again, I was told for a long time that these weren't good emotions to have, or you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. But uh, so it's kind of like a full circle moment for me because uh, 10 years ago, I wasn't so comfortable being so bold and being so aggressive, even though like on the outside, it looked that way because I couldn't really get away with it. I like, I get away from it. Like in my, there was a time like in my forties where I honestly tried to be a different person. Like I tried to be like more passive and more quiet and more like toned down and I just couldn't do it because it's not who I am and so that's what I would say to my 10 uh, you know 10 year old 10 year ago self <laughs> it's just own it own it this is who you are this is what you're meant to do this is what you were put on this earth to do and so own it because like I said the people who love you are going to love you anyways and the people who don't it's probably pretty good to know now so you can make some choices that's awesome. That's um, a common theme that I get with that one. It's just like, doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or says at the end of the day, it's 
you. So own yourself, own your passions, own your weird quirks and be bold and brilliant, brave. <laughs> yeah. Be all of those wonderful things. And um, one thing that you wish was never invented. That was never invented. Mm, one thing that was never invented. Wow, that's a good question. Um, well, one thing that uh, I don't know if this can't answer, maybe this answers the question a little bit, but so public education, I'm all about quality education and I'm all about accessibility and, and ensuring that everybody has uh, accessible education to good quality education. And so one thing that always kind of has bothered me is the fact that we have a publicly funded Catholic war where we live and then a public system. But the Catholic system is religion and they learn religion in their courses. And I'm not saying you can't get secular, but that really should be outside of the realm of public education as far as I'm concerned. Because there was a time, I don't know if this still is the case, where you had to be Catholic in order to teach in the Catholic board. You had to be Catholic in order to be a student in the Catholic board. And if that's the case, it's not public because it, it goes against a basic human right that is, this is for everybody. And I'm all about accessibility for everybody. I mean, we can't start funding things that are specific to a certain way of teaching uh, and then suggest that it's public and they get public funding and they get taxpayers' dollars when it's a certain teaching. And yeah, you wanna teach your kids Judaism or, you know, send them to a private school or, or a school that focuses on the arts or elite athletes, no problem. But you have to pay for that because that's not a public system. And so that is one thing. But, you know, it's, it's part of our constitution where we live and, you know, how do you get politicians to kind of change this framework? But it's, there's, it's nowhere near public if we're segregating people and starting from a point of reference that someone is better than the other, whether that's a religion or whether that's an association or whether that's a social class. We already start with this imbalance. And so you can't refer to it as public uh, when it's not accessible to everybody. And so that would be something that, you know, if I had um, a magical wand, I would change. Awesome. I, I, that's really great. I love all the answers you got to those questions. They're very in depth and, um, I can tell that you're super passionate about them, which I love. And so, Sophie, now the stage is yours. The floor is yours. Anything that we didn't get to that you want to talk about? It could be your book, anything else. Um, feel free. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, it's such a pleasure. And I really think you're really um, making some amazing um, contributions. And, you know, it will be people like you who really change the way we think and really um, make uh, the generation better and so you're really doing some amazing work and so I congratulate you for being so courageous and really putting yourself out there and really continuing to expand and not getting too comfortable mm -hmm. and choosing to share that knowledge with everybody else so really a thank you to you amazing oh. well thank you for that <laughs> thank you very much absolutely um, yeah um, I, I'm very happy to be sharing everything that I learned with other people, because I feel like, I mean, I was never taught those things. 
I don't know who else wasn't taught those things. And so um, going out of my way and trying to make confusing and complex ideas simplified for people to just absorb and like get a bunch of, and let, I think that we learn a lot through people do compare themselves naturally, but I think if you can compare yourself or learn through the mirror of other humans experiences, well, whether it's watching a show a podcast or something educational, you can reflect on your own life based off of listening to somebody else. And I think, um, that we do that naturally. So I think providing this for people, they can just say, Hey, maybe I don't relate to that person's story, but I can relate to how they were feeling and help them kind of navigate their own situation. So I think, um, I think good things are coming for everyone who allows it in. (laughs) Well, and I think, I think you're totally on the right track because I just see it in your whole vibration and your whole essence. I mean, it's so working for you. And as a result, we're all going to benefit because when we're at our best, we can be, you know, we can be a better service to everyone else. And so we have to start with ourselves in order to ensure that we can be great for other people around us. And so that's, it's totally working for you. So bravo. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, Sophie, let everyone know where they can find you, social media, uh, where they can get your book and yeah. Okay. So I'm, uh, I have a website, uh, it's Sophie Lazaru, uh, life coaching, sophielazaru.com. And so on there, if you want to work with me, I have a list of my services and a little bit of my, uh, backstory and then my book, beautiful, brilliant embrace. Um, it's available through the publisher, Friesen Press, or through Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. Uh, there's also a re- e-reader version, iTunes, Google. Um, but even if you just punch in my name, like a bunch of different outlets, uh, will show where they carry it. Um, what else? And then, yeah, just connect. Um, so, uh, Sophie Lazarus Life Coach is my um, Instagram handle. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook at Sophie Lazarou. So I think I've got that Sophie Lazarou Life Coach Instagram. And then my website is www.lifecoachingsophielazarou.com. Awesome. I will put all of that in the show notes. I will put links to the book in there, links to the website and everything so you can find her easily. Um, and uh if you want to work with Sophie, that would be a great opportunity for you to start to navigate and find these opportunities for yourself and get a good uh, boost in your self-awareness, your confidence, and your boldness. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, do a little dance and celebrate how awesome you are. Awesome! Yeah. All right, guys, that's it for today. So I want you all to stay in motion to stay in gratitude, to stay in expansion, act with intention, be consistent and focus on the goal. And remember, it is not just about achieving the goal, but it's who you become on the way. So keep good company and enjoy the ride. Um, Thank you, Sophie, again for coming. It was a really great time and hopefully have you back. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.